Everybody, and welcome to Up and to the Right, our weekly Twitter spaces where we discuss investing, personal finance, and any idea that helps us better understand the world of money. Today, we are going to be talking all about cars. But before we get into the details, as usual, we're just going to go around the room real quick, introduce the speakers. So, speakers, you know, tell us who you are, what you specialize in on Twitter. And also, I thought it'd be fun if you all told us if we all shared the make and model and year of our primary car. So first, let's go out to Adam out in Nevada. Hey guys, uh, I'm Adam. So I document a lot on Twitter, um, a lot of debt talk. We paid off, my wife and I paid $32,000 worth of debt in about 15 months. Uh, in terms of investing, we do talk about that as well. It's pretty simple, uh, mainly index funds. We do have a little bit of Bitcoin and Ethereum, um, but our actually car, we actually just sold it today. We had a 2002 Mazda Tribute, but that is no longer. Maybe we'll come back and talk about the sales of the sales of cars later today, Adam. Thank you. Uh, let's go over to Shadow Rents. Hey guys, Shadow Rents. Uh, I am the biggest believer in the Twitter universe of rural American real estate for wealth creation. I have a $1.2 million portfolio that I've developed over the last five, six years, and uh, love real estate as a whole. I uh, currently drive a 2016 Toyota 4Runner. Excellent. Fellow Toyota owner. Thank you, Shadow. Hey, Roger, you're up. Cool. Hi, everybody. I'm Roger uh, at Upshot Wealth here on Twitter. Uh, basically, I love talking personal finance. I'm obviously really big on talking um, retirement stuff, so mostly like 401k, IRAs. Um, big fan of index funds because that's my thing. And as far as uh, new cars, I actually drive a brand new 2021 Honda Odyssey. Didn't want to do the minivan thing, but uh, it's come to that point now. But before that, I was driving a 2015 Hyundai Sonata. So... Um, it's a little, you know, different, different aspect there. I think every, every dad eventually is going to become a van dad. It happens, Roger. I, we, we, we held out for quite a bit. Uh, the, the third one ma made it, uh, pretty much impossible not to have. <laughs> uh, let's keep it in Austin. Let's go to Andy. Roger. That's like the Rolls Royce of minivans. I love it. It is, uh, man. My name is Andy. I talk about uh, investing, crypto, specifically Bitcoin, um, and making money online on my Twitter and also on my YouTube channel. And I drive a 10-year-old Toyota Prius. That's pretty cool. I didn't know you had a Prius, Andy. I don't know if I would say it's cool, but yes, I do drive it. <laughs> uh, Brandon, why don't you go next? Hello, yeah. So I'm Brandon. Um, I have a blog called Winky Do Finance where I talk about everything from investing to, um, you know, career advice. And I drive a 2020, sorry, a 2020 Toyota Corolla. 
So I'm in the, the new car camp with Roger there. Nice. Keeping it in the Toyota family, I see. Thanks, Brandon. And Dave, just in time, Uncommon Yield, you're up. Hey, what's going on, fellas? Um, so my name is uh, Uncommon Yield. Uh, everyone will refer to me tonight as uh, Dave or David. Um, so I'm a, I am like to look at finance in a different different way. Uh, if you look at my page, I run a lot of numbers. And you know, if you like Dave Ramsey, uh, don't follow me. If you want to do something different, than like Dave Ram the Dave Ramsey's of the world, uh, give me a follow. Actually, give all these guys a follow. They're uh, have really great content. Uh, so I have uh, I'll both as we have in our family. So I drive a 2009 Ford Fusion that we bought new um, in the end of 2008, and we can talk through that if you all want. And we have a 2012 Honda Odyssey. So rolling with the with the minivans with Roger. Uh, so that minivans are great, especially when you have four kids. It's like a necessity. It makes sense. Thank you, Dave. Uh, my name is Jesse Kramer at best interest underscore JC, and I run a, a financial education small business. It comprises a, a blog, a podcast, and a financial advisor newsletter. The whole project is called The Best Interest. Link is in my bio. And if you couldn't tell, oh, sorry, I drive a 2012 Toyota RAV4, so I too drive a Toyota. And uh, we're talking about cars today, all about cars. And we've been chatting today a little bit about how we started or who's going to talk about what. And I thought maybe we might talk about a little bit uh, on the financing topic because it's been something that some of us have been tweeting about today. I know Dave had some tweets about financing versus not financing. Uh, Roger had some thoughts on how to get different rates for different credit scores and how to take advantage of low rates. And then maybe the second half of the conversation, we can go into some of the more personal finance side, if that makes sense, of cars and I'm just thinking about how to price cars, how to think about the cost of driving, used versus new, some of those discussions. So Dave and or Roger, do one of you guys want to start off talking about maybe financing versus not financing, some of those topics? Um, I'll, I'll let Dave take it off. All right, that, that's, that sounds good. Uh, so I, I have a, a thread that I just posted today and I was being a little controversial. I said, you know, earlier today, 99.99% of people should finance. Controversial take. But here, here's my thought process. So if, if you're not going to finance a car, it means you're saving up and paying, paying for cash. Most people can't just drop $10,000, $20,000 $20, out of nowhere. You're going to have to save up for it over time. Um, so I, I read Jesse's article. He has a really great article on the cost of uh, car ownership and landed on seven years is like, you know, how often that somebody could keep cars. So let's say you bought a car. It's about five years old. That's kind of the sweet spot too. If you're talking about like buying a, an old car that still has good value and can have for a long time, but still um, it's going to have good value and drive for a long time. So it's, and you can keep it for that for about seven years. After about 12 years, like stuff kind of gets a little shaky. So Jesse's article is really great. So I said, okay, well, what happens if you save up for, uh, like, what, ha what happens if you uh, pay a car for cash every seven years, or if you if you invest and then finance a car um, for every seven years? Like, what does that look like from a money standpoint? And actually, if you do, like, a $15,000 car, if you assume, like, a 3% a inflation rate uh, on the price of the car, uh, a return rate of stocks at about 8%, and an interest rate of 3.5%, over 35 years and buying four vehicles, you come out like $164,000 ahead. 
which is huge. And that's because you've just given that money so much more time to compound. So I would really, um, I know a lot of people, you know, don't want a car payment and don't like a car payment. And I, I totally get that. Like uh, full disclosure, I don't have a car payment right now because we've had our cars for so long, but, um, and I don't plan on getting any new cars anytime soon, but if you are going to save up for a new car, I'd really encourage you to consider investing that money maybe instead, if you can be disciplined, like this is, you have to have, this is a disciplined approach, right? You can't spend more just because you have financing available. You'd have to buy something that you would have saved up for and bought for cash anyway. So that's the big caveat here. And I think people that have brought that emotional uh, and behavioral aspect into the discussion, it's a really valid point. Um, but if you can be disciplined and you would buy the same car finance that you would for cash, I think financing wins every day of the week, especially if you're talking about a long investment time horizon. The keyword there, Dave, that I liked was disciplined. And, you know, in, in your tweet from today, if you could go back and edit that tweet and say 99.999% of people should be financing as long as they're disciplined, I'd be right there with you, right there with you. I, uh, I wrote an article a couple months ago where I called Dave Ramsey a Sith Lord because, as you nerds all know, Obi-Wan Kenobi once said that only a Sith deals in absolutes. And Dave Ramsey, all of his rules feel like they're absolute rules. But the one thing that I think he does do well at times is he recognizes that some of his listeners got to the place where they are, which might be in a lot of debt or it might be in trouble, due to a lack of discipline. And so when Dave Ramsey says, like, hell no, don't borrow money to, to get your car, the reason why is because he knows it might end up helping people who don't have the discipline to do what you just said, Dave. So, right, the math doesn't lie. Dave's math is is right. It's more about knowing yourself and understanding if you have the capability to take that risk and for seven years maintain the discipline to not use your money on something other than the investments that make Dave's math work in the first place. That makes sense? That totally makes sense. I, I want to add a couple, a couple of thoughts here too. I, I, I think a lot of the thought process about debt in general, like for example, growing up, I recall, you know, people in my family saying, you know, basically you, you don't want to take any car, uh, a car loan, right? It's terrible. But if you think about that timing, I'm, I'm talking about maybe like, like the 90s, right? Like if you, I was actually looking up today what the average new car interest rates were in the 90s, right? And like, if you're looking at 1990, like the average interest rate for a new car was 11%. It was actually a little more than 11%. And it, and it trickles down, it goes slowly down through the progression of the years. I think by 1999, we're talking about 8% for a loan for a vehicle, right? And, and that, I think that's where like, we lose like transition of thought about what does the economy, what, what does what does it look like today to own a car, right? And when you're looking at interest rates today where you can, for example, get a new car at 0% or like almost just 1%, right? This changes the mathematical equation on what's what you can do. It, it effectively opens up options. And I, I think that kind of goes back to kind of Dave's point of um, 
flexibility and essentially having the discipline. If you have the discipline, you can essentially use that flexibility to essentially invest. Can we just appreciate what just an absolutely glorious racket that was? 11%. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, I mean, uh, like if you think about it, it's like it, no, no wonder everyone would say pay your car in cash. I mean, 11% is crazy. And imagine paying 11% for five years. I mean, you, it's, it's an insane amount of money. I agree. <laughs> I agree. I'm, I'm, giving, I'm giving a nice long pause in case anybody else wants to chime in, but um, it's a huge amount. Um, and yeah, no, no wonder. It's a similar, almost remember when we had the, the mortgage conversation, guys, and we kind of talked about how some of our parents, their mortgages were 14%, 16%, 18%. And so, of course, for them, it made more sense to pay down their mortgage early. But when, uh, you know, as rates change, so does the math. I think Dave would tell us that. Dave, can you run a spreadsheet on that to double check? Oh, no, that's 100% true, Jesse. I mean, like, look, if, if it's 11%, like, there's no way you can be any type of returns with that. That, that would be crazy. Um, I think as long as, you though, you have, like, a decent, like, spread uh, with what you're going to gain from an investment standpoint but what you're, compared to what you're paying, like, that's what you have to do. You just have to run the numbers, you know? I, run the numbers and see where it leads you. You know, if interest rates change wildly in the next 15 years, absolutely make a different decision, you know, like do something different, you know, I don't, but this is, it's, but in this low interest rate environment, if you're not taking advantage of low interest debt for major purchases like houses and cars and education, you're leaving tons of money on the table, like just tons of money. And, and to go a step further, I, I think aside from that, we're, we're talking from the perspective of you have excellent credit, right? And I think one thing we're leaving out here is before you finance anything, you need to know what your credit score is, okay? And what your interest rate is going to be when you buy a vehicle is going to be very different depending on what that score is, right? Um, I looked up today uh, used car vehicles like interest rates, right? And for example, if you were going to buy a used car, and, and these are some of the rates that I kind of pulled up quickly to see kind of uh, what's the best I can get out there. There's probably even better than this, but if you had a credit score higher than 730, you can get a 1.9% interest rate on a used vehicle. If your score was between, um, let's say, 640 to 679, that interest rate turns into 3.4%, right? And I'm talking about 60-month loans, which is kind of your standard uh, vehicle five-year um, uh, loan time. But imagine you have a really terrible um, credit score, like 550 to 599. Your interest rate is 8.4%. And if it's less than 550, you're talking about 11.4%. So like these are things you need to be aware of and consider. And just because you see a commercial that says, hey, we can give you 0% financing or 1% financing or whatever, that's you have to remember that that's for excellent credit and make sure that you know you know what your credit score is before you kind of dive in into something like that especially any type of big purchase whether that's a home or a car i had a question going off of that i mean you, you brought up a great point roger 
uh, what you mentioned, like an 8.4% rate, an 11.4% rate. I, I don't know if you mentioned any rates in the 5 or 6 or 7% range. But throwing it back over to Dave, Dave's initial argument was you should be financing at 3% and investing the rest because you assume that your investments might go up. I think Dave assumed 8% in his math. So the question for you, Dave, is would you say the same thing to someone if the rates were, say, 7% on borrowing money and then assumed 8% on investing? With like with a margin that slim, would you still give similar advice based on what the math says? No, I think on a, on a risk-adjusted basis, you know, when you think about that, like it's you're going to make a lot more money just going ahead and paying down that debt versus yeah. trying to make it. Yeah. You're, you're breaking up a little bit, Dave. Oh, am I breaking up? All right. Once the once the rate be about two percent different, um, that's where it really makes a it starts to make a difference, especially if you have a long enough time horizon. Uh, so I'm plugging Jesse's articles, but he has a he had a great article and a graphic where he showed like uh, and you know what what's your investment return going to be like over different time periods. So if you're thinking like if you're going over for twenty years. 30 years, you know, a lot of us are, are younger, and we're going to retire. That's your, your chance of coming out ahead investing is really good. Now, if you're like later and you're going to retire maybe in, you know, 10 years or less, you know, may, may, maybe paying down that debt makes sense at that point and paying more for cash would, would be better. You know, I, I mean, obviously it, it's very um, individual, you know, what you're going to do, but if you have a long investment time horizon and you have, a two, I'll say two to three percent, like spread on expected return versus interest rate. Like you're probably going to come ahead, come out ahead investing. You have a good chance. I, I like one, like it's one funny thing we haven't term. mentioned yet. Oh, okay. sorry, Roger. But one no. thing we haven't mentioned yet that when the spread gets that small, one thing we really need to take into account, other than just interest rate, is cost of maintenance, cost of ownership, repairs, fuel. Uh, when when the the margin gets small between uh, that, that's something we need to definitely pay attention to. Because the cost of ownership can definitely drive that cost up each month. And to add to that, like I'm even more conservative. Like I, I think that when you when you take on a loan, whatever the percent rate is, I mean that's that's basically guaranteed, right? So like investing in the market is not guaranteed, right? As far as it going up or or, or down, and, and and when we're talking about car loans, it's like we're talking about a spread of five years, right? Which is pretty small, right? The market can kind of go one way or another. Um, so that's something to consider when you're, when you're thinking about loans too, right? Um, I know we talk about the 8% and it always feels like every, uh, tweet that you see out there is showing you the compound growth of 8%, but the reality is that the stock market does have volatility. What happens one year doesn't necessarily mean it's going to happen the next year and vice versa and all that. So take those things into consideration and, and take the fact that sometimes paying down guaranteeing debt is a great thing. But Roger, I just wanted to point out one thing. I mean, I'm assuming 110% growth on my Bitcoin month over month for the next 24 months. So when you said there's volatility, I don't, what? What do you mean? No, it's a joke. That's a joke. I mean, that's why, that's why I bought Bitcoin. And then all of a sudden, I'm, I'm always asking Andy, what, what happened? <laughs> when moon, Andy? When moon? Andy's fault, obviously, that we're all losing money on Bitcoin. Um, <laughs> I want to make sure, you know, Andy, Brandon, Adam, I mean, do you guys have any thoughts here on, you know, would you be tempted to 
invest money at, at certain interest rates and not at others? You know, what I should say is, would you be, yeah, would you be tempted to finance your car at certain interest rates and invest the difference based on what Absolutely. interest rate was? Yeah, go ahead, Brandon. Yeah, so I actually just went through this in September when I bought my car. So I, the interest rate that I have on it, I did finance it, was 1.09%, which to me in the case is very clear to invest. Now, the interest rate that I was getting with, you know, used models that were, you know, not too old, um, like used models, was more like 4%. And at that level, it's still a ways off from, you know, 8%, but at that level, it's kind of like a toss-up to me, to be honest. Um, like taking on 4% debt to invest and make, to invest the money and make 4% instead. That point became a toss-up. So it was one of the factors that steered me toward, not the only factor, but one of the factors that steered me towards going new just because the interest rate was so low. You know, talking about new and used, one thing that, so I bought a Honda Odyssey this year, 2021. And one thing that honestly led me to deciding to go new over used, which typically isn't what I do, um, was the timing essentially. And the fact of how crazy used car prices are right now, um, like how many years back do you want to go? Right. That was kind of the, the question I had to ask myself. Um, I think the difference between a 2021 and a 2018 was about like 4k as far as what I ended up paying for my 2021 versus what I'm seeing right now for 2018. So that was something I considered, um, when making my choice. Another factor I actually considered when talking about new versus used is the fact that I don't really know much about cars and it's incredibly easy to get ripped off. So the, you know, I, I wanted a relatively recent model, um, Toyota. If I was willing to go to like, you know, 2017, 2018 and, the price difference wasn't enough. Like the price difference could have easily been eaten up by some major repair that, that needed to happen down the line, um, you know, outside of warranty. So I, to me, I was just like, I don't really know too much about cars. A mechanic could very easily rip me off here. I'm just going to spend the extra, you know, like less than $5,000 and get myself a new car. Yeah, that's a great point, Brandon. Um, and we can come back. I'd like to come back and talk about that new, new versus used conversation some more. But real quick, I just wanted to point out a couple things. Uh, we had a great comment come in in the DMs, and that's a good segue. Anybody who's listening, feel free to send me, Jesse, uh, Best Interest JC, uh, DMs, or send any of us DMs if you have questions, and we'd be happy to list, uh, read them out loud and answer them. And if we know you, uh, we can also give you microphone access. If we don't know you, no offense, we've had some trolls, so we might not give you the mic. But yeah, DM us or ask for the mic, because we had a question come in from Stephen uh, at My Wealth Money. Stephen's a great follow, and he mentioned that we need to consider tax impacts, tax impacts on investing versus the interest we're paying, because that can tighten that spread between the two margins. And I thought that that's a great point, Stephen. Um, Adam or Andy, any, any thoughts from you guys? Yeah. I mean, like I'm not a huge car guy in general, so I guess it would be what would factor for me, I guess, is the total cost of the car. I mean, if I was buying new interest rates low, I'd definitely be more inclined to do the investing approach, but just from what I bought in the past, it's all been, you know, sub 
$5,000 cars. And in that case, I'm like, I'd rather just save myself the hassle, pay it in cash and get it over with. Um, but I think that definitely changes kind of how you're talking. If it's a newer car, I'd be, I'd probably sit in the camp with Dave where we're at now, even though, you know, we talk about paying off all my debt and getting debt free. I think it, it's kind of ironic, but now you, know, you look at the numbers and the interest rates that low, I definitely think that uh, I'd go more the investing route. Yeah, that, that is a funny predicament, Adam, if you want to call it a predicament. Like, you know, once you get yourself out of debt, do you want to put yourself voluntarily back in more debt because of a equation? Maybe. And right, it's, it is like, it's the classic, right, psychology versus versus uh what the math says everybody everybody has to deal with these issues it's it's a it's an interesting one mm -hmm. yeah and that's kind of the issue we're having now, or not the issue but the predicament we're in just because like i mentioned at the beginning we just sold our car and for me it doesn't matter like i'll go on craigslist i'll find a car for three or four thousand I'm, I'm totally fine with that but my wife wants something a little more quote-unquote reliable so that's going to be a fun decision we're going to have here in the near future yeah that is interesting um, Roger, you had, you had mentioned, uh, do you have a question waiting for us or are they, are they not ready? It looks like they're ready. I'm going to, uh, Adetaya asked for, and I hope I pronounced that correctly, asked for the mic. So I'm going to give him the mic and see what question he has. Hey, Aditya, you're a speaker. Can you hear us, Aditya? We cannot hear you. Can any, can anybody hear him? No. Okay. Yes, Aditya. Oh. There we go. Hey. Hello. Hey, hello. Hello, hello. Yes, I'm from India, basically. Okay. And I am new to this space. And I want to know, <clears throat> first time that, which type of investment initially started? Actually, I'm at the age of 21, 22. Okay. I want to start my journey of investing. And I'm a little bit confused how to start. Can you please guide me? Yeah, I think so. So I think, Aditya, I think what I heard you say is that you're new to investing, you're 21 or 22 years old. And you're just curious about what kind of investments we use when we were first starting? Is that is that what you asked? Yes, yes, I went. Okay. I mean, I can make a real easy answer. For me, the answer was uh, index funds. Index funds, and when I first started, it was a target date fund through Fidelity. How about you guys? Um, I'm a big index fund guy, and I'm still a big index fund guy. So that's that's kind of my jam. Index funds, yep. And if I had to start, I, I don't use target date funds now just because I'm happy with how things are going with um, the robo-advisor approach. But if I had to start over completely again, I would I would um, strongly consider target date. Okay. I, very few days later, well, very few days before, I started my journey in index future uh, already. But uh, I think I have to move on crypto. Is it better opportunity in crypto? So, um, I, 
I appreciate the, the questions, but since we want to stick it to the car topic, so that's the topic of interest today. Um, I was going to ask you, do you have a question about cars? If not, I'd like to pass the mic to uh, the next the next people that are asking. Yeah, no, no, I have no question. I have no question on car. I have to actually question on the stocks. Okay, well, I, if anything, you can DM us or you can um, hit us on Twitter and we can talk about that at any time. But yeah. for, for this for, for this talk, we want to talk about cars. Agreed, agreed. Aditya, okay, okay. yeah. Give us a follow. Give us all a follow and we talk about stocks frequently and you'll meet other people through our channels. We're talking about investments too and I think you'll learn a lot really quickly. So yeah, thanks for the question. Um. I had a question, I thought a good question, come through the DMs, and this one's from Shrikant, and Shrikant asked, he said last week he purchased a certified pre-owned car with a 4.79 APR on a four-year loan, so a 4.8 APR on a four-year loan, but he has a good credit score, and so he's wondering, should he refinance with another lender? What do you guys think? Depends. I mean, what does it cost to refinance and at what rate? I mean, those are big questions that you need to know the answers to. Yeah, assuming fees are, are non-existent and the rates lower, I mean, I think it'd be goofy not to. Um, if his credit score is high enough, that interest rate should drop to the twos or threes uh, fairly easy. So, uh, And also on, on four years... I, I'm a big believer in if, I, if I'm getting a loan, I'm stretching that loan out for cash flow sake. I live for cash flow and being able to use that cash flow for other places. So for having just a four-year loan seems like that monthly payment's going to be awfully high. So I'd be the one that's that stretch it out to 60, 72 months and trying to get it to 2 or 3% and invest that extra cash. Yeah, my, my biggest concern with, like, because now it's like, I feel you can get, like, what, like, 72-month loans and whatnot. My biggest concern with these is typically they come with higher interest rates. And I, um, I think what they do, basically what the car companies are doing is like, well, I see that you might be struggling to make this car payment. Why don't we stretch it out to 72? Makes that monthly car payment look more attractive, but they're in reality making more money off you and charging you effectively a higher interest rate over that span of time. So it, it gives you that false sense of, oh, it's not that bad, but in reality it really is because you're paying an additional uh, 12 months of, of car payments. Mm -hmm. um, Jake McKinney, hey Jake, Jake sent a couple DMs. One I think was pertinent to this question actually, where he just suggested going back to that same bank or lender Strakant and seeing if you can negotiate your interest rate with them. Um, I know it's after you signed, and I'm, I'm not that familiar, but I'm taking Jake's word here that you might be able to go back and, and negotiate. Um, and then Mason, Mason on margin. Hey, Mason. Mason wrote in and said that he's selling his car to Carvana right now, and that he's been noticing how the used car prices recently aren't that far off from newer prices. And then when we did, we did touch on this a little bit, Mason, and Mason saying how it's pushing him towards just buying new um, because the, that spread is so close, especially if one is disciplined to actually keep the car for the long term. I think we all agree with that, Mason. It is an interesting car market right now. Yeah, just to speak on that a little bit, I'm a little bit in the 400 community, not deep into it, but I know a few guys that are selling their used 400, for instance, 
I bought mine last year used around twenty six, twenty seven thousand dollars, and I Kelly blue booked it last week, and uh, price is around thirty two thousand dollars. So that's a five grand increase after ten thousand miles of usage and a year of usage. So I have other friends uh, in the four hundred community that are selling theirs back and and going back and buying new ones when they can find them. Now the supply is a little hard to find new ones currently, but um, they're all having luck. And they're using the same, you know, uh, example you are that that the prices are so similar. There's no point in you know keeping a four year old one when you can get a new one for pretty similar pricing. Yeah, it's a, it's a wild market right now. If you're not familiar, and this is just my understanding, so feel free, anyone else can chime in. But right now. New cars are suffering from a chip uh, chip shortage for the onboard computers, and so that's why there's a supply issue with new cars. And then the used car market right now is not getting its normal supply from rental car companies. In fact, rental car companies are gobbling used cars up due to travel increases post-COVID. So that's affecting the used car supply. And when supply goes down, price goes up. So both markets are getting hit simultaneously, and we're seeing the results. And what's interesting about that, I was actually reading about this recently. Uh, <clears throat> basically, during the pandemic, when nobody was renting cars, nobody was traveling, uh, the kind of ingenious uh, mechanism built into uh, running a, a rental car business is when you're not making any money, you have an incredible inventory that you can offload and uh and avoid bankruptcy and avoid uh, going out of business. And so all the you know rental car giants offloaded their fleets um, and uh, sold them. And you know when uh, everybody starts coming back to uh, the real world and uh, traveling again and, and whatever, and life starts resuming uh, normalcy and people want to travel again, uh, so there's some more demand. So the rental car companies reach out to Toyota or Honda and say. I want to place an order for 250,000 uh, Camrys, for example. Um, but now all of a sudden there's a supply shock with the chip shortages and stuff, and they can't actually fulfill the orders for the uh, rental car companies. So this is kind of this uh, incredible, perfect storm of things happening all at once, which is just really, really fascinating. Yeah, I was going to hit on that. I'm flying up to Washington next month, and uh, I'm not able, for the dates we've selected, there, there's nothing available I saw through uh, the website I was looking at. Wow. You say many... no used cars, Adam? Just no cars. That's crazy. Yeah, because well, we're flying into Portland and we're dropping it off in Seattle, and for whatever reason, they're saying that you know nothing was available for that time for that time frame. Wow. wow. And, if, and if there were some available, the prices are amazing. <laughs> it's kind of incredible. Uh, I looked recently. We were looking at considering going on a trip, and we looked – at just the lowest possible tier uh, economy car. And uh, I think for like four or five days, it was like 900 or a thousand bucks, which is uh, crazy for that. Yeah. So I got, I got a great take for this and this helps the people who have nine to fives potentially, hopefully. So basically if you work for a large corporation or a large company, they potentially have, um, you know, people obviously maybe travel for the company and they probably were have a negotiation negotiated price with rental companies. So basically a guaranteed rate. And sometimes your employer might allow you to take advantage of that basically rate um, 
for your essentially for your vacation non non work travel this is actually something i did um just maybe about a month ago for a trip i'm doing later this year and saved significant amount of money uh, on that because i was basically able to book at what my company was offering or guaranteed price on i think it's with hertz or whatever so something to always consider something there's perks with your employer that you need to take a take advantage of also, don't forget about Turo, which is kind of uh, the, the the new disruptor of the Airbnb of cars. Um, their prices are a little more competitive and uh, some unique options, too. If you want to get fancy with Teslas or sports cars, uh, they have a wide range available uh, around most major cities. So don't forget checking those out, too. That's a, There's a service. Go ahead, Brandon. Go. Sorry to interrupt. There's, just to say there's a service also called Enterprise Car Share. Um, it's very similar to Zipcar. You can rent cars by the hour, actually. So, you know, if you're in a city and you need a car, they'll just be kind of parked on the street. You just have to book it in the app, and you can, you know, go with your phone and unlock the car and drive it for however long you need it, and then um, bring it back when at the scheduled time, and you can pay hourly. It's really nice. nice. Yeah, we we've got a similar service here. I forget what it's called, but it's similar to that, Brandon. And uh, Shadow, thank you for that excellent transition because we actually have three comments in the DMs all about Turo. So um, Aiden, he started off asking about DoorDash and Uber and Turo and whether it's worth pursuing those. And then Investopia asked about our thoughts on Turo, whether it's smart to buy a car just to Turo it. And then Mason mentioned that he's actually used Turo. Last week he had a 2016 Corolla for a full week and it was $400. Not bad. Um, and actually, so one thing, to answer maybe all those questions at once, I don't know what the Toro rates are, or the Uber or the DoorDash rates for what you get paid, but in the article that Dave mentioned earlier, the article that I wrote for the best interest, um, basically what I did was I broke down, I looked at fuel costs, uh, depreciation of the sticker price, what else? Um, insurance, maintenance, registration and fees, financing. So all those costs, and I looked at the average life of a car, the average time you have it, the average mileage, because I wanted to know what's the cost per mile of a car over its life. And real quick shorthand for you guys, for the average car, something like, say, a Camry or an Outback or a RAV4, it's around $0.50 cents per mile. When you start going towards more efficient cars, something that more might be like a Corolla or a Honda Civic, something that lasts really long, it gets down into the 40 to 30 cent per mile range. And then when you go to something big, like a larger SUV or a truck, you start approaching, say, the 70 to 80 cents per mile range. So if you're driving Uber, you can easily figure out, you know, here's how many trips I'm doing, here's what mileage I'm putting on my car, and here's what I'm getting paid. So once I take away that mileage cost, what's my real revenue left over? Similar for DoorDash, food delivery. I don't know exactly how Turo works, but I've got to assume it's similar. You can figure out how long people are driving your car for and how much rent you're making on it and, and just deduct, deduct that mileage from your bottom line and figure out if you're still profitable the way you want to be. And on the Turo topic, uh, I, I can't remember off the top of my head the names of the channels, but there are one or two YouTube channels with um, some guys who just kind of catalog and document all their side hustles. And one uh, guy who I've watched, he 
he runs a Turo business. He probably has like, oh, I want to say 15 to 20 vehicles in his own personal little fleet. Um, and he has had success with it. Um, and I also have a friend who experimented with uh, buying a car just for Turo. And um, he found that um, if you choose the right car, he had, I think, a Prius and something like a Camry or Corolla or something, that that was a pretty good uh, route. But of course, that's another thing where your mileage uh, will vary depending uh, completely on make, model, and how much you pay for it. But it's a, it's a really cool, interesting idea. It's an interesting uh, uh, side hustle or side business. Uh, I haven't personally done it. Just want to real quick give Andy a shout out for sneaking in. Your mileage will vary into the car talk. Great work, Andy. You get a you get a prize for that. Um. Anybody else? I, I want to give you guys a chance to speak because I do have a couple other questions here in the DMs, yeah. but just wanted to know your thoughts on yeah, Ubering or door dashing, that kind of stuff. Yeah, I just wanted uh, to echo like Jesse's like cost per mile. So in my day job, um, I run financials and like one of the for a, a pretty large operation. Um, and one of the things that we that we look at that is under my purview is a courier operation. So we have about close to 40 vehicles and it, i mean it is it is in that and they're not expensive vehicles by any means you know i mean they're just your basic uh, smaller cars and like transit vans and i mean it is in that 50 to 60 cent a mile range now you got to think too if you're doing door something like doordash like you're probably stopping and starting your car a whole lot but your gas mileage is not going to be good that's going to be hard on your brakes um in on other parts of your cars, you're going to be idling your car a lot, turning it off and on a lot. It's going to be really difficult from a maintenance standpoint. Uh, if you're doing Turo, you know, how you drive your car might be very, very different than how somebody else drives that car. Um, so unless you have, and there's really no way to control that um, when they have the car. So um, I think you just need to, to whatever, whatever costs you associate um, compared to normal driving, you're going to have to tack on some, some extra cost. Um, from what I've seen, um, from a DoorDash standpoint, unless you have uh, a very inexpensive car that's extremely efficient, like a like a Prius that's maybe older, uh, or a Corolla that's maybe a little bit older, like you're more than likely not making any money doing that. Um, the 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 rate that we pay um, to to make deliveries is, or the way that we rate that we charge is way more than anything that they're doing on DoorDash. Or Uber Eats or anything like that. Like they, like you're probably not making any money. Yeah, that's a that's a unfortunate truth. But I, from what I understand, I agree with what Dave just said, which is at current Uber rates, DoorDash rates. Once you price in the cost of driving, it is a lot harder to even make say minimum wage than you might think. I see a couple people on Twitter posting their kind of their side hustle wins, saying, you know, hey, I. I made 40 food deliveries this week and I made 300 bucks and they're kind of, they're, they're promoting it as a, a big side hustle as a way to make really good money. And, and they're not counting really the, the wear and tear on their vehicle whatsoever. And it's a huge cost. You know, if you're putting in 300 miles in that week, you just paid essentially $150 and it's a big cost compared to what you might be making on the apps themselves. We have uh, another question from our good friend, Binge Drinkington. Hey, Binge. Uh, and I don't know the answer to this one. So the question is, I always wondered 
what daily interest is for a car vehicle. And if there's any way to bring down or eliminate daily interest on a car loan completely. So do you guys know daily interest? Is there some sort of interest that compounds daily on car loans? I have no idea. That's a, that's a new one to me. Yeah, not sure. Ben's Drinkington. We can we can take that one to the uh, to the after hours show. And uh, I mean, my answer, I would Google it. That, that'd be my first impulse. And uh, if you find anything out, Ben's Drinkington, let us know, because I'm, I'm curious. Um, hey, Jesse, I got a couple questions from my end. Um, perfect. Perfect. Let's so um, actually, I'll, I'll first start out with a, with a comment that I got from um, Raise the Bar. So he was basically, he says he uh, actually sells uh, a lot of cars. So he's uh, one of the comments he mentioned about interest rates. So he says that paying 0% for the new car typically means you're paying window sticker price for the car, something to strongly consider before buying a new car, and that you can usually get a bigger discount by financing at a normal rate. Um, my, my personal experience from this, because I recently bought a brand new car, so I, initially I was, when I was looking at the Honda Odyssey, I was targeting that 0% um, financing. And I ended up getting 0.9%, and, uh, and I'll explain why. So basically, what ended up happening was, I'm like, okay, I'm going to do the 0%. This this sounds fantastic. I mean, it's, it's free money that I can basically finance. And then the caveat was that it was for a four-year loan, right? So 48 months instead of the 60. And then the 60-month loan turned out to be 0.9. I actually did get the car lowered from sticker price and actually the way I did that because especially in this market that we're in right now is I basically call dealerships in my city outside my city um, I basically um, mostly did everything through email and once I got like you know out the door pricing I basically had uh, different um, dealerships compete with each other um, that's kind of how I got the lower sticker price um, but I ended up going with that zero point 0.9% financing because I, I, I kind of looked at the, what am I paying monthly for? And then essentially, could I take that additional, I think it was like a little over $100 if I was doing uh, $100 difference between like the 48 month versus the 60. I'm like, you know what, I'd rather take those $100 and just invest them for those 12 months and just take the 0.9% because the interest is negligible. I think over the life of the loan, it was like for like 20, like basically I financed for like 25K. Um, I think the life, it was like $400 or, or, or close to $500 over the life of the loan. Um, basically an additional car payment, right? Um, so I, I thought that for having the lower car payment and having and taking the difference and investing it was a better option for me. So kind of like the whole, Dave aspect of being disciplined and actually doing that to take advantage of it. And aside from that, I got a question from uh, Richie Rich, actually. And he asked, did anyone bring up the most efficient, cost-effective way of finding slash purchasing vehicles? Um, no, we didn't. And I, and I figured I'd leave it up to you guys, see if you guys have any anything you want to chime in on that. I don't know if this is exactly what Richie Rich is going after, but in the in the article that I mentioned before, the true cost of car ownership, 
one thing I did look at was, you know, new versus used. And, and despite what I think popular opinions are, and let me pause for a second and say, I wrote this 10 months ago before the current kind of chaos in the car market. But a lot of people say, well, yeah, used is always better. Used is always better. Used is always better. And I found that that's not the case when comparing uh, certified dealer-used cars to new cars. They're about the same. You'll pay the same cost per mile for both a new car and a certified used one. However, that's not to say that your Uncle Dave, who knows cars, can't go off on Craigslist and find a really good deal where you'd end up paying less cost per mile because he went off and found a good deal. So if I were to buy a used car today, I would call my Uncle Frank, that's his name, actual Uncle Frank, because he's a huge car guy and his hobby is to look at you know, Craigslist ads for cars and find good deals. Outside of that, I'm not sure the best way to find a good car deal. For me, the best way to do it was basically take away their leverage in negotiating. Effectively, you go, hey, look, I'm look. What's your out? Just basically ask the question. What's your out the door price? Right. That's what you're really looking for. What's your out the door price to buy this vehicle? And basically figure out kind of what that price range is based on the de different dealerships. And then, honestly, you can probably take off a couple hundred, maybe a thousand. Especially in this market right now, it's kind of tough. But take off. I, I literally told the dealership because I, I was there. Like, no, we can't do that price. And I'm like, look, someone. And there was another dealership like 300 miles from me willing to give me this price. And I basically said, if you give me this price today, I will go there right now. And as soon as you said, as soon as I said, I will, I will buy this car today, that, that, uh, that whole situation changed and like, okay, we'll make it happen. So, yeah. Um, Timing does play a huge factor. Um, from what I understand, it's best to go at the end of the month. If you can, also end of the quarter. Yes. If you want to go triple end of the year. I went, you know, right before they were talking about shutting things down again. So it was like perfect timing. Um, but timing really helps. I, yeah, I got what I feel like is a great deal. I'm, I'm sure I could have negotiated harder, but timing played a huge factor. Timing plays a huge factor. And also, um, one thing that, comes to mind too is that let's say you're want a new car but you're willing to take the previous year so for example you know you're willing to buy a 2021 when the 2022s come out um you can save some money there too um and typically that's around like the october time frame right or like september october when the new lines come out so that's something to consider as well where you can get a brand new car mind you'll technically be a year older in a few months but you can save yourself some coin doing that yeah. Both both you guys just reminded me of uh Ramit Sethi, right? His book I Will Teach You to Be Rich, which is on most people's, you know, best books for beginners looking into learning personal finance. He devotes at least a full chapter to finding good car deals, uh Richie Rich. So if you aren't familiar with that book, he says a lot of the things that Roger and Brandon just said, which is like hard negotiation tactics, going at the end of the year when people when the when the salesmen at the dealerships they want to meet their sales quotas, so they're going to be more likely to listen to your negotiation and give you a better deal. There are some interesting tactics that you can kind of don't let the salesman push you around. You're in the driver's seat, pun intended, and uh, you can get a good deal that way. And and the thing that something sometimes gets left out is that 
sometimes at the end of the month, the reason you get a good deal is they're willing to take a loss on one vehicle because they get a bonus for selling X amount of cars for that, let's say month or quarter. So it's effectively, they're, they're not losing money. They're just requiring that one extra sale so that they make their quota. And even, so it's basically a win for you. And yeah, they lost a little bit on that individual car, but they're making it up on the bonus they're getting. Any other uh, any other thoughts or comments going around the room, guys? I just want to quickly say that I think no matter how you look at it right now, year over year from uh, this time last year to now, used cars are about 30% of the asking price they were. So if we're going to be frank about it, unless you're just absolutely in need, there's really no point to buy right now. Um, of course, there's going to be circumstances where it's needed, but if you could hold off until the market cools, uh, I, you're saving 30% right there. So um, I would definitely suggest that if, if you have the opportunity. I totally agree with you, Shadow. That's like, you know, what the market looks like is, is big. Yeah, correct. That, that reminds me of when I said I'd maybe talk about when we bought our Fusion and at the end of 2008. So that was when the you know, everything just kind of tanked and we had the, the mortgage crisis and everything went down. I actually worked for an, an auto uh, parts supplier at that point, manufacturer at that point. Um, but my wife's uh, car totally like blew the engine on our way down to, to go to Thanksgiving and we had, we like had to buy a car. Um, and we ended up, we would have, we looked for used cars. We couldn't find one that was even the same price as new cars. So we ended up buying a new car, got a good deal in it. But you know, at that time we were in the no debt camp. So we had no, no debt at, at all. Uh, but we also had no credit and we ended up paying 14% on the loan for the car. So we paid it off and like, <laughs> six months but our timing was really bad um at that point in time so you know just just make sure you have all your financial ducks in a row you never know when you might need to to pull that, pull that line of credit you know <laughs> that is such a high rate that is crazy uh that is great yeah great point shadow it's such a big sweeping point to make you know we're out here arguing one and two percentage points or how to negotiate a 500 hundred dollar better deal and the fact of the matter is the macro market is 30% higher than it was last year. So just delay your demand if you can. I think we might be at a good point, everybody. I've got no further questions in my DMs, though I did get a really nice message from Alexander who just says, another great session, guys. So yeah, thank you for listening, Alexander. And uh, we really appreciate everybody listening in. Thank you for coming. We hope you come back next week. We hope you give us all a follow because we like talking about stuff like this and, and we do so on a regular basis. And uh, with that, I'll, I'll leave the floor open for any final words. As always, it's a pleasure to talk to you guys. Cool. Thank you, everybody. Have a great night. Have a great week. And we'll catch you next Sunday. Yep. Hey guys. Thanks, Rose and Jesse. Have a good night, guys. Take Bye, care, everybody. Bye-bye.